You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Local voices, local conversations. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. Two and a half months ago, we took up the issue of vaccines, the public health consequences of our children not receiving those vaccines, the effort in Sacramento to eliminate the personal belief exemption, which was being used as a cover for bad or non-existent science, the fact that one of our Napa schools was seriously under-immunized, and the broader grassroots effort to address these issues. One of the leaders of that grassroots effort is a parent here in Napa, and it is my pleasure to welcome Hannah Henry back onto NapaBroadcasting.com to give us an update on what's been going on in her own efforts and the efforts of those she's been working with in Sacramento. It's my pleasure to welcome Hannah Henry back here. Hannah, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's great to have you here. A lot has happened since, I think, the 3rd of March when we last spoke about this, and a lot of success has come along the way in this effort. Yes, indeed. Um, this bill was um, triple referred. I have... I have learned my civics, um, certainly for state um, state legislature civics um, in this process. But it has it was triple referred, which meant that um, before it got to the floor vote for the Senate, it had to be heard in three committees, um, and that was health, education, and judiciary. So at each of those points, there's there's the potential for um, amendments. There's the potential if it doesn't move through the committee, it's dead. So we were very active. I'm now a member of um, an organization. It's a grassroots organization, a parent, mostly parent volunteers, um, but it includes doctors and scientists and teachers all over the state um, who are volunteering as to support this bill. So we um, we rallied support uh, with letters and calls and um, and a minimal presence. We didn't make a big deal about being present at the Capitol, um, just because we didn't think that was going to necessarily help the process. Um, but we were very, very involved in getting the bill from committee to committee, and then finally to the floor vote. Which of the committees was the most difficult? We heard a lot about what went on in the Education Committee. Which which was the most difficult in this process? Well, difficult in different ways. I mean, the, the education, we, we definitely got the most news because it was paused for consideration after education. Um, the, the senators on the education committee were, were concerned about making sure that the, the bill, if, if when it passes, um, that it would allow for educational options for those who simply would not vaccinate. And this is an issue that I've been concerned about from the very beginning as well. There wasn't um, sufficient clarity in the underlying law around um, what homeschool options there would be for people who who don't want to take part. Right. Um, and so that those that wording needed to be clarified um, around what what a homeschool is. Is it one family? Is it multifamily? And then in addition, um, making sure that there's a public school option, which is our pretty robust um, independent study option that we have in California that those families would be able to take take advantage of. So the senators were very clear that that was, that was the primary issue um, and that was dealt with. But the other committees were also in, in, in tense with, um, with protests and a lot of misinformation. But once it got to the, the conversation bet- among the senators, it was a very rational discussion. 
What has been kind of the party line configuration on this? I know that's come up in some of the commentary on it, some of the analysis of it, that some of the issues have crossed party lines, some have been along party lines. Talk a little bit about that. Certainly. Um, I mean, the, the anti-vaccination movement is um, is very is very interesting. There is um, a, a big portion of it are, are real diehard liberals, almost radical left leaning, but so far left that it, it ends up meeting some of the kind of Tea Party right. sentiments on on the right. Um, so there has been um, there there have there has been crossover in that regard. Um, but then among the senators, there has been um, a bipartisan bipartisan support of the bill. Certainly, it's much more democratic. We just came back from the California um, Democratic Convention where there was overwhelming support for the bill. I mean, they roared with applause when the resolution was presented um, to support this bill, SB 277. Um, But there are also Republican senators who have, uh, Senator Stone, um, who is a pharmacist, I believe, um, he he gave a very strong, um, very strong little speech about SB 277 and the importance of vaccinations at the floor vote. Have there been members of the Senate that are really strongly opposed to this, that have been really strong opponents? There are senators that are very strong opponents to the bill, indeed. And um, the this unfortunately, the strongest opponents are, um, are they, fortunately, they are few, but unfortunately, they are um, seem privy to the misinformation that is being given to them by um, the, the Chiropractors Association and um, the other the, the lobbying groups that are anti anti vaccination. Um, so it's difficult to hear misinformation on the floor and in these committee meetings. But there are there are just a couple of senators who have spoken um, misspoke, misspoken about the science. Um, you mentioned the Chiropractors Association. What do they have to do with the vaccine issue? It's very interesting. There's a there's a, an opinion piece in the Sacramento Bee today um, that just came out that talks about their involvement um, in this issue and. It should be concerning to them. I think it should be concerning to their members, their association with this movement, um, because there's been a, a very intense um, smear campaign against specific lobbyists and specific individuals. Um, a there's a, a law professor who I've been working with closely, um, who is at, at UC Hastings, who speaks eloquently about vaccines, and she's very interested in this as a as a mother. Her name is Dorit Rudenstein. Um, she has been um, absolutely um, just horribly insulted by um, by the c- certain individuals in the anti-vaccination movement, and they are associated with the Chiropractors Association, and it's really unfortunate. It is unclear what the real motive is for the Chiropractors Association, since vaccination isn't there. Right. It isn't necessarily a core issue, um, and this... Um, it's it's too bad that this seems to be an umbrella over all alternative health practices, including chiropractic. Where are the state public health members, public health officials on this issue? Very strongly in support. I mean, we have the endorsement of um, the health officers of California. Um, we have endorsement of the California Medical Association. We have endorsement of... Um, the California School um, Nurses Association, the list goes on and on. And it's on, we have this website that we created as parent volunteers. Um, 
called Vaccinate California, and it has a, a list of all these endorsements. It's hard to keep up with how many endorsements we're getting. What do the prospects look like from what you know at this point? And certainly it's a fluid situation. But what do the prospects look like in the assembly? And how does it differ from what you've been through on the Senate side? Well, the big difference is that we have we now have so much support behind us and and we're we're better educated in the process. You know, all of us are, you know, at at first we were really a scrappy bunch of people who just had some interest in this um, from a public health standpoint or some of us for very personal reasons. Um, And now we've learned a lot about the process and how to communicate and what districts to target. And but the assembly, it is new territory and, and we will see. Who are the main supporters in the assembly? Last time we talked, and and certainly, you know, front and center in the debate has been uh, Senator Richard Pan, who's been been really the leader of this, I suppose, in the Senate. Are there equivalent leaders in the assembly that are taking up this cause? There are a number of co-authors, and I don't remember them off the top of my head. We, We have been going at such a warp speed from Senate to assembly. We just got here. Um... In fact, yesterday we just finished delivering our thank you letters where we got a thousand signatures um, from from members of our organization and beyond um, thanking the senators for their vote. So now (laughs) then the next day we're we're looking at assembly. So there are a number of co-authors and we are looking to build that that the number of co-authors. Those are those are assembly members who are in support of the bill to the point where they will put their name on it. Um, Mm -hmm. And what do you think the prospects look like at this point? I am. I'm from what the lobbyists tell you, (laughs) what the lawyers tell you, and everything. Yeah, I mean, we're we're proceeding with cautious optimism, and um, this has been a very positive campaign. That's been my um, my primary goal with this, from a a design standpoint, because that's what that's what I've been able to bring to the effort in creating the a campaign that we're we're all using um, the lobbying groups and and our parent organization um, and individuals are using this I Heart Immunity campaign. It's a hashtag. It's a, um, it's a sticker that we wear at the hearings. It's, it's a way of unifying this positive, this positive message. And I feel like it carries on even if, was, even if I didn't feel like this bill was going to pass, and I really do feel like it is, um, I still want to carry on this message that this is a positive um, this is a positive project. We're, we're trying to increase the health of our communities. There was another state, and, and hopefully you know the answer to this because I can't remember, another state that tried to do this and it failed not, not very long ago. Yes. I mean, since we talked in March. Yes. Um, um, I believe it was in, in, yeah, in Oregon. They have a different legislative process. They, um, they tried to push this um, a, a bill similar to this through and... Um, it 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 failed early on. Um, they did not have this. The what's different about California is the measles outbreak that happened at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. It really it really was centered here. It really did extend out across the country and into Canada and into Mexico. And that made the that gave this our campaign so much more momentum. I mean, I started this with a move on petition that garnered right. you know twenty two thousand signatures in a matter of weeks. It, just centering around that measles um, issue, I think without that we wouldn't have this. Um, we wouldn't have the same kind of momentum just among regular folk who take who take our public health for granted. 
We've mentioned last time that people that, that oppose this were, although with a lot of misinformation, nonetheless passionate about it. Talk a little bit about the opposition that you've run into and just, you know, the personal uh, attitudes people have had towards your effort and those of your colleagues in this effort. Yes, I um, early on, I started engaging on Facebook um, with my community just saying, you know, I was excited about this advocacy work I was doing. I knew it was controversial, but um, I started refuting, I just explained what I was doing, and then I would start refuting um, claims that I that were popping up and other and in my feed from other people related to vaccinations. And that um, I tried to just remain factual, but it's very difficult to and that unleashed a, a, a real torrent of, um, I would say abuse <laughs> um, on to my person just about my role in the community and whether or not I should be at Stonebridge and um, and I um, was also some people went to my school and spoke up against um, my involvement in this because they felt it was damaging the school and I took a real step back I was I had to really look at my role in this and think what do I want out of this I want increased immunization rates in California this isn't um, I don't need to be having these conversations with individuals about what this, what science is valid right. and um, where we should go with this. But when it gets personal, which it does very quickly with this issue, um, it's it's hurtful and confusing and um, and it, it can be upsetting. I um, have not had um, any more negative interactions since I I pulled back. But my colleagues who whose role in this process is different from mine. Their role might be um, commenting on, um, on on articles and refuting refuting counterfactual mm-hmm. claims, um, which is a really noble pursuit, but it's it's exhausting because they have um, some of those individuals have been targeted um, relentlessly on Twitter and um, and Facebook and maligned in a way that is is just not fair and respectful and. Senator Pan and Senator Allen and the co-authors of the bill, mm-hmm. other co-authors of the bill, and um, based on their votes, have also been insulted in ways that just are, it, it's so surprising to me. I didn't know this kind of vitriol could um, could pass in, um, in a conversation about public health. Why do you think, in your best analysis, having been deeply immersed in it for a while now, why does it get so personal? Is it because children are involved? I mean, what's at the core of that? It's a really interesting question. You know, I was talking to Senator Pan about it recently, and he said that there are bills that come up. Um, they have bills all the time um, that that affect families and and affect people's um principles and and are very hot button issues on a national level like abortion and um end of life issues right. and he said the turnout is nothing like the turnout for this bill and it's it is confounding and i i um i'm not really sure what the answer is but i think that um there is there's a there's a long history to the anti-vaccination movement and i think what a lot of people don't understand who are who have aligned themselves with anti-vaccination movement um is how um how kind of dark and deep that history is and really at the core it is a pro-disease movement and um does not have um at its i think 
in its core value, the better health of, of our public. I think there are some very misguided people who are leading this, this, this pursuit, and many well-meaning people are swept up in it and feel that somehow their health and their rights are being threatened. There's no conspiracy. There's no smoking gun right. in this process, but it's very hard to unscare people. It's very easy to scare people, and it's very hard to unscare people. Right. It also goes to, and it's indicative of the distrust and lack of faith people have in the medical establishment, in government, in public health officials, etc. Yeah, and and it's it's a it's a really big country we live in. It's a big world we live in. It's a very complicated process to try to manage systems for large groups of people, and it's. It's just, un- it's really too bad that 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 it all gets you know all of these government um, programs get um, brushed with one giant brushstroke. If if one if if there's there's one like toxicology issue in one department of the government that goes unreported, how, why should that affect a, the whole? Um, public health vaccination program that is under a huge amount of regulation that is that is based on studies that are um, done globally in academic institutions. Um, it's not a single um, government organization running this. Is there a national effort? I mean, are there other states that are looking at this issue? Is it something that is moving towards a, more of a critical mass nationally? Once this bill passes, and I'm going to be optimistic and say it will, California leads this country in so many um, health-related and environmental-related um, issues. And so w- once this happens in California, that will affect what happens in other states, I'm sure. And there is there is momentum um, across the country in, in more than a dozen states to, to try to pass this kind of legislation. I think yeah, there, there is some talk of, of a national um, vaccination requirement, but um, I don't know very much about that. And at this point, it seems like um, garnering support um, in individual states to kind of align mm-hmm. our, our public health programs, that's, that's the way we're going right now. What about the money side of this? Lobbyists, the effort? I know a lot of it's volunteer, as we've talked about before, and as you mentioned today. But to what extent has it required money, and, and has that been forthcoming from, from people out there? Um, I'm very um, locally based. I mean, with very much based with um, Vaccinate California and MoveOn.org. MoveOn, of course, is just mm-hmm. a volunteer. And um, Vaccinate California is just volunteer, and we haven't even coalesced into a um, into an, an actual nonprofit or an actual organization um, because we 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 came together so quickly. So we have we have a donation page on our site, and we've gotten um, we have received some donations, but so far I've been giving you know my time and 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 some of my business's money to um, to this effort. So it's it's still been very grassroots. Mm-hmm from a money standpoint. To what extent has there been any pressure brought to bear or any effort to persuade NVUSD locally with respect to, to Stonebridge and putting pressure on them, particularly given that Stonebridge's charter has been up for renewal this year? Um, I have, again, just, I, I, the demands have been so great on the, the statewide level that um, 
and I was certainly self-conscious about my um, my involvement on a local level once I started um, getting um, some attacks I I withdrew um, but my goal was to get um, NVUSD to look at this issue not just Stonebridge but there are other schools that that are pockets of vulnerability mm-hmm. that are very different um, I don't think it's fair that they should there should be a pocket of vulnerability in one school and and not in other schools but I do know that the that the health department is already really looking at that seriously and it's not necessarily um, doesn't necessarily require my involvement to, to make sure that happens. I know that when an outbreak occurs, the health department calls those schools that that are, are vulnerable immediately, um, and they assess the plan that needs to needs to take place if quarantine is is deemed necessary. Have you found that that people change their minds in this issue? There are those hot button political issues that. We all know what they are, that it's sort of silly to debate because people have made up their minds and it's it's just hopeless 99.9% of the time. Have you found that there are people that have been persuaded by, by the science, by the facts in this case that have come around? What I've seen, and it aligns with um, research I've read on the psychology of decision making, and um, is that due to our due to confirmation bias, I think I referred to that last time we spoke, we we all tend to look for confirmation of our already held right. beliefs. And there are there are some people um, who can look beyond that and and look at the facts. Um, the scientific process, of course, is set up so that um, it's it's much harder to succumb to confirmation bias. Um, but I have found that there are those people who have already, um, fully made up their minds. They have not come around. But there is this subset of the population that hasn't been activated by this issue yet. They right. either don't have a child yet, or if they do, they haven't really thought about this as an issue. And those people, um, it seems to go along with how much um, experience they have with science or um, positive experiences they've had with medicine, um, life-saving, or um, that those people um, I have found have come around. And there are those who, who decided to have a delayed vaccination schedule, and now they're um, now they're understanding that that delayed vaccination schedule is is not necessarily a benefit for their children. So I've heard those 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 they, they're called fence sitters, but mm-hmm. I don't even think that's really the right term. It's just people who hadn't yet formed an opinion. And those are the people we can capture with the, the rational science-based discussion. Mm-hmm. What about the socioeconomic divides in this issue? What have you found? There is a um, there's there's a, a big percentage of the um, anti-vaccination movement is is white and is um, it, there it is um, has a higher median income than the than the majority of Californians, but. That doesn't mean that all people who are white and of a higher median income are anti-vaccination, um, and the 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 people who the, still the vast majority of Californians do vaccinate their children, and in that group there's just a much more diverse um, representation and. Among immigrant groups, among of all countries, among Im- mm-hmm. immigrant groups and um, and the poor, the vaccination rates are quite a bit higher. Has the governor taken a position on this yet? 
Not yet. He is the he's the unknown in this process. Once it hits his desk, he has 30 days to decide what to do with it. And so we don't know. um, We don't know what his what his response is going to be. And nobody in the in the legislature, Senator Pan, Senator Allen, I mean, nobody really has a sense of where he is on this issue. If they have a sense, they haven't shared it. They mm-hmm. haven't shared it with us. As I said, we're just we're moving from one task to the next, and it's you know communicating with our supporters about you know who to call next, and we're not we're not bothering um, Governor Brown quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> but that day will come. Oh yes. And finally, talk a little bit about the time frame. What are, what are lobbyists and what are people in Sacramento telling you in terms of how long this is going to take in this next step? It this process well it's it's still being referred um, which means we're determining what what committees are going to hear it um, I'm sure health and education will hear it uh, but that um, those those committee hearings come up once a week so um, that would be a couple of weeks and it could move quickly but I know that the assembly um, also goes on on break in July so if if the vote comes before then then it could be before the end of the summer if not then then we'll have to wait until the fall. Sounds like the fall, given the speed at which things move sometimes. Yeah, but things have been moving faster than I um, than I thought, but it's also just because we've been so busy with this work. Well, I thank you so much for coming in and bringing us up to date on uh, what's going on in the, in the fight. Thanks, Jeff. Hannah Henry, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now.